Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 9, when you got it, say got it. it. And if you're not there, say hold up, wait a minute. Amen. (laughs) We will wait for you. The precious word of God, which is pure gold in the ears of those who believe, reads, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Today we continue with our series, From Death to Glory, by looking at part four, or looking at the conversion of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 19, it starts off by saying, he, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. And it says that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. Jericho was a big city. Zacchaeus is a tax collector in this big city. And and the Bible says here that he was rich. That he was rich. He was wealthy. Now, tax collectors had a bad reputation because in those times, most tax collector, they, to collectors, they preyed on the weak and the innocent. They often took more money than they were supposed to take. So Zacchaeus was most certainly probably an outcast to the average man here in Jericho. And the Bible says that he was rich. Now, what's interesting about this is is that if we turn back to Luke chapter 18, we see that in the eyes of the disciples, at this point in Jesus' ministry, a rich person is almost, in their eyes, a helpless person. Jesus had just come from talking to a guy who we call the rich young ruler. Jesus is talking to this man and and this, this rich young guy 
who has all of these possessions, and the rich young guy asks Jesus, basically, what does he have to do to become a disciple? And he looks at Jesus and he begins to point to all of his good works and say, I have kept the law. I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. And Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, yes, but you have not done one thing. And this is what the Lord requires. Jesus looked into this young man's heart, saw the bling bling, saw the escalade, saw the gold grill, saw the fancy clothes. And he said, if you really want to follow after me, you must go and sell all that you have and come and I will accept you. The Bible says that sadly, the rich young ruler looked at Jesus, shook his head probably, walked away and said, that I can not do. Jesus then follows up and he says, for this cause, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples responded by saying then, then really who has hope? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So as we look at Luke chapter 19, we see that Jesus is showing the disciples that with God, all things are possible. That God can come in and change the heart of someone who, whose heart is captivated by something that is so powerful, such as money. See, Zacchaeus, a, a tax collector, he was certainly dead in his trespasses and sins. Before he met Jesus, he was like you and me. He was lost, and he was headed to hell. He was in a utterly hopeless situation. Zacchaeus probably had a big house. He probably had mules and he probably had horses. He, he probably had people looking up to him and saying, man, look at him with the, the Gucci flip-flops on. Allow me to modernize it a little bit. Amen. People were probably looking at him, looking at his wealth and, and looking at him. But inside, Zacchaeus was empty. Inside, he knew that something great was missing. He probably looked at all of his possessions and all of his money and said, if this is what life is about, it's not worth living. He's probably like many of us in here today all right. who have tried one thing after another thing, only to find out that that Escalade that we bought brand new in 2004 it will be old news in 2005. That those Jordans that we bought three months ago that we stood in line for, that we paid $200 for to come in a briefcase. Jordans come in a briefcase now, huh? Pay $200 for a shoe and an extra $50 for the briefcase. That's only gonna be able to hold the shoe. But we put those Jordans on, we lace them up, and we feel good about them for about two or three days. They, they are everything. We, we, we get our outfits together to, to match with the shoes, and as soon as someone steps on it, as soon as we hear, our, hear another pair is coming out, it becomes old news, and we start chasing the next thing. So Solomon says that we are chasing the wind, chasing chaff. Zacchaeus was dead in his trespasses and sins, so, so we see that he is lost without Christ. But, but, but it's a good thing that Zacchaeus was blessed by God to become desperate for Christ. Right, 
a dead man suddenly became desperate for Christ. In verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass away. This dead, lost man suddenly was desperate for Christ. He probably heard about the miracles that Jesus did. Fifteen miles away from Jericho, there was a miracle named Lazarus. When God called Lazarus out of the grave. And Zacchaeus probably heard the story of Lazarus. He probably heard the story of Jesus healing the lepers. And he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And in Zacchaeus' heart, he knew that this was his only hope. He probably heard people in the square debating about whether or not he was, Jesus was Israel's Messiah or whether or not he was just a cult leader. And as he hears that Jesus is coming, he gets so desperate, he runs in front of the crowd. He climbs up a sycamore tree and this noble man who is wealthy, who is rich, who eats at the nicest restaurants, finds himself hanging off the limb of a tree, begging Jesus to notice him. And the only way that a dead person can come to a place of begging God is if that dead person realizes that they are lost. And the only way that a dead person can realize that they are lost is if God intervenes. And that's what part one through three was about in this series, about how salvation is the work of God, how God is the one who ignites salvation. And we'll find out as this series goes on that God is the one who completes salvation. Before the foundations of the world, before the trees, before the land, before Adam, before Eve, God ordained Zacchaeus to have this moment. And before the foundations of the world, the moment that you came to Christ was a moment that God had already planned. He had already elected you and chose you in Christ. Zacchaeus is desperate, hanging off this tree, and, and people were probably looking up at the tree saying, look at Zacchaeus. What is he doing? This is the chief tax collector. Has he lost his little mind? The young people were probably looking up and laughing. They were probably mocking him, but Zacchaeus did not care. He didn't care about what other people thought about him. He didn't care about how he looked to the next person. He was on a mission, and that mission was to find Jesus Christ. But little did he know that Jesus had already founded him before the foundation of the world. Where were you? What were you holding on to before your conversion experience? What were you putting your hope and your trust in before you heard the gospel preach and before it resonated in your heart? For Zacchaeus, it was wealth, it was money. For some of us, it was sensuality. It was sexual pleasure. For some of us, it was respect and it was, it was having a, a nice, a big job or, or having a, a doctor's degree. 
For some of us, it was just, just finding a man who would love us or, or, or finding a woman who, who had a, a Coke bottle figure. But the wonderful thing about it all is that no matter what your testimony is, is that it is a testimony. No matter what God delivered you from, and even if you say, well, I lived a squeaky clean life, he delivered you from something. Everybody in here has a testimony that is in Christ Jesus. And don't ever let anybody belittle you because you didn't go through what they went through. The fact of the matter is, is that, that dead people have one thing in common, and that is, is that they are dead. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that there was no life for us, that we were walking zombies. But one day a living God resurrected our heart. Every single person in here is a miracle. A miracle is when God intervenes into a situation that, is, that could not be solved by man. And God intervened in your heart and in your life and in your situation, and it could not be solved by man. It could not be solved by, by mere wisdom. Oprah couldn't save you. Dr. Phil couldn't save you. The only person who could save you was Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God the rock of all ages, the great I am. I touch somebody and say, you are a miracle. As Zacchaeus is sitting on this tree, Jesus looks up and he calls his name. Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, he says, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. There are many people around and Jesus is probably walking and preaching the kingdom of God. He could have looked at anybody and called their name and won their heart. But he called Zacchaeus name. He called a specific call to Zacchaeus. He looked in Zacchaeus' eyes, and, and Jesus' eyes is like a, a flame of fire. It pierces through our soul, and he looked at him, and he ministered to Zacchaeus. And that's what we talked about in part two of this series, how, how yes, there's a general call, how God gives a call to everyone. Come unto me, all you who laden in the heart of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But, but then he gives grace to some, and he gives a specific call. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Maceo, Maceo, Roland, Roland, Carter, Carter, Pollard, Pollard, and he wins our hearts. By intervening. The Bible says that Zacchaeus joyfully accepted Jesus. It says, so he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. Now, last week we talked about being born again, regeneration, how God intervenes on our heart. When we're hearing the gospel call, the reason that we're able to accept the gospel or the good news or the preaching of Jesus is because God has done a miracle in our heart. He has put a seed in our heart. And when the water of the word, 
when the word of God hits that seed, it grows, it blossoms, it sparks, it ignites, and we are able to respond in the right way. And today we're going to look at the right way to respond to the gospel. We're going to look at what is conversion, because here we see the conversion of Zacchaeus. We see him being converted. We see him being transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. What is conversion? Conversion is a willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and we tie our trust in Christ. Conversion is a willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and we tie our trust in Christ. When we say that one is born again, that one has been saved, we are saying that they have been converted. We are saying that God has done a miracle in their heart and calls them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace. Conversion is a willing response. Every genuine Christian in here has been converted. Every genuine Christian in here has had a conversion experience. We have had a time and a place where we said to Christ, Lord, I surrender all. All that I have is yours. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be converted. It is impossible to say that we are following Christ and not do what we're going to talk about today, conversion. Now, there's two aspects of true conversion, and those two aspects are faith, somebody say faith, faith. and repentance. The two aspects of conversion is faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Faith is a word that often is overused. And and many times I think that we think that faith is something, us having hope in something that that really is impossible or doesn't exist. Or we're just hoping for a miracle. Many people, you know, they say that they have faith that their football team is going to win the Super Bowl. And uh, it's still early in the season. And their football team is 0-5 and, and uh, doesn't have a clue or a healthy player on it. Amen. You just have to have faith that the Louisville Cardinals are going to win it this year. And Louisville's not even in a tournament. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not faith. That's foolishness. Faith is not us making a decision or putting our hope in something that doesn't exist. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there's a a hope, the substance of things hoped for, but a conviction of things not seen. This conviction is not in something that we don't know that exists. It's in something that we know that exists, that we have faith and we know that it exists, but it just has not been made visible to us. 
So when we come to Christ, we come by faith, by grace through faith. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says, faith is essential for salvation. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God. If someone does not have faith in Christ, in God, he, he cannot please God. Faith is made up of three components. Faith is made up of three components. The first component that makes up what we call faith is knowledge. Somebody say knowledge. Knowledge. The key is here. He hurries down to, to come to Jesus. He's, he's, he's on a tree waiting for Jesus, and he rushes down to see Jesus, and he receives Jesus joyfully. And the reason why he is able to receive Jesus joyfully is because there is some knowledge there about the person of Jesus. And that's what the Bible says. And if we're going to have faith, it has to be based on knowledge. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by sleeping. Huh? Oh, okay, okay. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? True faith, saving faith, comes by hearing. And that hearing is, is hearing the gospel message. It's, it's receiving the knowledge of God. It's by hearing a preacher say, or reading the gospel. The gospel that teaches us, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel that teaches, Romans 6.23, but the wages, the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. If one is going to have faith in God or faith in Christ, he has to know what he's having faith in. He has to have some sense of, of knowledge about what he's having faith in. That's the first element, is having knowledge. Having knowledge about Christ being born a virgin. Having knowledge about this sinless Christ who walked the earth for 33 years in, in complete perfection having knowledge about this Christ who was fully human but yet fully divine, having the knowledge about this Christ who took 39 stripes, saved one, and died on Golgotha's hill and was buried in a tomb but rose on the third day. Faith is not a blind belief. It is a knowing belief. But not only, but we must understand that, that knowledge by itself, it, it will not save us. Yeah. Knowledge by itself can not save. People come up to you and you talk about and you're talking about Christianity and they're just filling off scriptures and telling you the Bible and you're thinking to yourself, wow, they know the Bible better than I do, but they're not a Christian. They're just a Christian. I heard somebody say, oh, they're just a Christian. They just don't know it. A person can't be a Christian and not know it. They know the, better, the Bible better than I do. They're, they're saved, they just haven't realized it yet. Or, or they'll say, they have accepted Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. You can't accept part of Jesus. 
They accept him as their savior. They just haven't made him Lord. No, it's all or nothing. Either you take Jesus or you leave Jesus. Jesus didn't say to the rich young ruler, well, this is what you can do. You can accept my, my sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. And then later on in life, you can make me Lord of your life. No, the rich young ruler turned and walked away. And Jesus started preaching to those who did believe. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, that the demons believe in God, believe. They know that there's a God, and the demons tremble. If knowledge is all that it took to be a Christian, then Satan himself would be saved. Last week we looked at John chapter 3, verse 2, and we read the words of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus did not know Christ, but he came to Christ and said these words. He said, Rabbi, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that, that you do unless God is with them. He says, we know that you are a teacher. Nicodemus had the knowledge, but, but knowledge by itself is not saving faith. It's knowledge plus agreement. It's knowledge plus agreement. If one is going to have saving faith, they have to have knowledge, but they also have to agree with what they are hearing. They agree, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am lost. Yes, I am in a hopeless situation. Yes, I am a drug addict. Yes, I am a, a, a dope seller. Yes, I am a, a, a wife abuser. Yes, I am living life for myself. And I agree that I'm condemned and that I deserve hell. But I also agree with the message that you just said, that Jesus looks at my sin when I accept him, and he, he washes them, and he gives me a, a new heart and new hope. And through him, I can defeat drugs. Through him, I can defeat anger. Through him, I can defeat anything. But knowledge and agreement is not enough. That doesn't make, make faith. It's knowledge, agreement, and trust. Knowledge, agreement, and trust. When we are converted, when we come to Christ, it is because we trust him. It is because we trust, we fully depend on him to save us and to justify us. It's because we trust in what the word of God reveals. Nicodemus was a, a chief tax collector and probably was a, a chief sinner. But yet he said, you know what? I know that Jesus has something to offer and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to allow this teacher, this rabbi to come into my house, which in that time was completely crazy. A tax collector and a rabbi making their abode together? That's why the pastor says, and many looked at Jesus and said of Jesus, is this not a teacher eating with a sinner? But praise be to God that that's who Jesus came to save. He didn't come to save the righteous. 
He didn't come to save those who already thought that they were saved. He didn't come for the Pharisees. He came for the prostitutes. He came for the broken. He came for the abused. He came for the look, those who are looked over. He came for those who have absolutely no hope. And those who have hope in themselves, he condemned. But those who look to him and put their trust in him, that's who he saves. Saving faith is knowledge, is hearing the gospel, it's agreeing with the gospel, and it's trusting in the gospel. It's taking everything that I have and is giving it to Christ and saying, for Christ I live and for Christ I will die. For Christ I would die. Saving faith looks like a, a boy who is stuck on a tree climbed a tree and he gets all the way up and, and he's now hanging on the tree and he realizes that he's not going to be able to make it down. So he's yelling and he's screaming. And the child father sees him the whole time out of the window. He told him time and time again, don't go up that tree. And he sees him. But he, he, as he's going up the tree, the father's making his way out. He says, I know he won't be able to get down. And, and as that child is, is screaming out, the father comes and he says, didn't I tell you not to come down? But there is hope, I'm here. The son looks at the father and he knows that his father is there. And then he looks at him and he nods his head. He agrees with his father. I deserve to fall and hurt myself because you have told me time and time again. But he puts his leg down and he hangs on a branch and he jumps because he trusts that his father will save him. That's what faith is. Some of us in here today, we are faced with dark situations, situations in which we have given up hope. And you hear people say, have faith, and we go back home and we're like, well, I'm having faith. I don't really know what, what having faith is. Having faith is knowing that your father cares about you, agreeing with the, what the Bible says, and trusting in his word. Care how bad it looks, know, agree, and trust that is faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Or the preachers say that sometimes we say that we're trusting God and this is how we're leaning on. This is how we're leaning on. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. That's not trust. You're still standing on your own two legs. Trust is, is putting all of your weight on Christ and saying, you are my hope. You are my treasure. Faith sometimes is uncomfortable because you know, because you know that that is the only thing that can help you. Second part of conversion is repentance. A word that is scorned and looked upon. A word that very seldom comes out in today's generation. We can preach faith, but not repentance. If we are going to be saved, and, and when we are saved, it is because we have repented. Repentance is a, a heartfelt sorrow for sin. It is a renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to forsake it, your sin. And turn and rely on Christ in obedience. In this passage, we see some fruit of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' conversion. 
In verse 8 it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone, and if and I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Repentance is us forsaking our sin, forsaking the thing that we know that God does not like, and turning from it and clinging to Christ in obedience. Zacchaeus here gives up half of his possessions because he realized that he has an even greater possession. Here is a man who is wealthy. Here is a man who is rich. And he says, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And then he goes and says, listen, I'm going to restore to those whom I took from fourfold. He went above and beyond the law of God. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord tells Israel what they must repay if they defraud someone. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and should add a fifth to it and give it to him in which it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring it to the priest as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for the guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven of anything, any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. The law that was given to Moses for Israel said, if you steal from someone, you repay them in full, plus one-fifth. Zacchaeus says, not only am I going to pay them back, but I'm going to pay them back fourfold. True repentance is us realizing when we come to Christ, that our sin insults God, that our sin is not necessarily just against the person. David said, against you, God, and against you only have our sin. That our sin, while it is offensive and hurtful to another person, it is even the more hurtful to a holy and righteous God. And a person who comes to Christ, they come to Christ like Zacchaeus. They come saying, Lord, I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that I am guilty. And I want to show you that I am guilty by repaying or restituting all that I have taken. Today we have people coming to Christ without repentance. We have messages and, and offerings to the gospel.
come to Jesus. He can help you. Come to Jesus. He's your hope. Come to Jesus. He's your friend. And we never tell them that in order to come to Christ, there is, there is an expectation. And that expectation is that you renounce the things that you have done and that you cling to Christ in obedience. You renounce the relationship that you are in that's outside of your marriage and you cling to Christ in faith. That you renounce the wealth and you renounce the the drug selling. We've had people who come to Christ and they come to Christ and they, they say, you know what, I can be a Christian and still do what I was doing. I can, I'm coming to Christ that says just as I am so I can come to Christ and I can just be who I was and I'm saved. That is not salvation. On the last day, they will stand before God and be judged. And even furthermore, the one who preached that message will be judged. Christ calls for obedience. Now, when we come to Christ, we come saying, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I renounce my sin. Will you help me to overcome this sin? We lace our trust in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're not going to commit that same sin. But it means that we're trusting Christ for deliverance from that sin. We all are sinners. Nobody in this room is sinless. We should sin less, but we are not sinless. Paul told the church of Corinthians that true repentance comes from a godly grief. He says that there's two different types of grief. There's a, a godly grief and there is a, a worldly grief, a, 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 a grief that is more concerned about what people see or about getting caught. I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm going to hold a a press conference because I got caught. I'm going to buy you roses because I got caught. I feel bad that you found out. Says that type of grieving, it leads to death. That's not repentance. Just because you're sorry that something happened, it's not, does not mean that you're repenting. It's a difference. Being sorry, having a godly grief. Is knowing that I sin, and even if no one ever finds out, I'm still sorry because I know that God sees me, that God is omnipresent. That even if I'm in a room by myself doing something I have no business to do, that I am not alone, that the Spirit of God is there. We should be thankful that God does not allow us to see the horror of our sin from his eyes. But at the same time, we should pray, God, allow me to see sin's horror. Zacchaeus realized his sin, and he responded in faith, and he repented. It's interesting about the law, that the law said if Zacchaeus had been back in the, the, the old days, The way he would have responded is by giving back to those whom he stole. And then he would have took a a ram. He would have took a ram, depending on the sin that he committed, or or maybe even a lamb. 
He would have went to his flock. He would have searched it out. He would have found something that was without stain. He would have walked down to the, to the temple or the tabernacle, depending on what time he was in. He would have gave it to a priest, and as he walked to the priest, he would have been stepping in blood. He would have smelled the, the stench of, of, of sacrificed animals. He would have handed it over to the priest. The priest would have put it upon an altar. The priest would have put his hand upon the altar. The priest would have took out a knife. He would have looked at Zacchaeus in the eye. He would have taken the knife and killed the ram in front of Zacchaeus, symbolizing that Zacchaeus, in the sight of God, this is what you deserve because you disobeyed him. But God is gracious, and instead of you dying, he's going to allow this animal to die in your place. But praise God for the gospel. Praise God for Christ. Praise God that that is not what he requires anymore. Zacchaeus, and instead of doing all that, Jesus said, come, let me come into your home. Let me, let me hang out with you. Let me share you, to you the good news. Let me help you and prepare your heart for the day of my death that you may see that I am the Lamb of God, the one who was crucified and who was persecuted in order that you can look to me in faith, not to that ram. That ram can't take away your sins. I can take away your sins. That ram cannot save you from your guilt. I can save you from your guilt. That ram cannot save you from your deadness. I am the one who saved you from your deadness. For God so loved the world, Zacchaeus, that he sent me, his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. And may we see our conversion experience. May we understand that when God called us, he called us to have faith, to trust, and, and to tie our obedience to him, but, but also to repent, to turn away from one style of life and to walk towards another in faith. And may we not just stop there. May we see that God calls us to do that every day. Conversion is a one-time experience, but faith and repentance is not. Conversion is a one-time experience when we are converted and we come to Christ. But, but having faith in God is a day-to-day -day experience. For the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Is anybody in here? I'm not talking to myself. Amen. We walk by faith and not by sight. Every day is a faith walk. Every day we must fill our head with the knowledge of Jesus Christ by going to his word. Every day we must agree with what the word of God says. Every day we must trust in his word and lean not to our own understanding. Every day we must wake up in the morning and say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Every day we must come before God saying, wash me over and make me over again and beg for his mercy and beg for his grace. Every day we must say, Lord, give me a new language, a new tongue, so that I will not offend my brothers and sisters in Christ. Every day we must come to Christ and say, here I am, a sinner. Save me over and over again with your grace. While we are saved, we are yet still being saved. May we find the time every day to reflect upon our sins and to go to God the Father and confess them, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I pray that you would give us the, the heart of Zacchaeus to those in here who do not know you, 
to those who have not laced or tied their trust to you, to those who are not obeying you. I pray for the one here who, who in their minds say, well, I accepted Jesus as Savior, but, but not as Lord, who has not made you Lord of their life. I pray, Father God, that you would have your way with them. I pray for us as believers who are in a, in a state of lukewarmness, Father, who are in a state like the, the church at, at Asia, Father God, who are, who are in a state, Father God, like, like that church who was lukewarm. Father God, I pray that you would prick their hearts and allow them to see that salvation is a miracle. That as they read the Gospels and as they read about blind people having their sight restored, that they would see that that is exactly what you did in their lives one day, that they were blinded just as the other person was, but now they see as they read about the paralytic, may they be humble to know that we once were paralyzed by Satan's grip, that we could not help ourselves, but that you came one day and said, take up your bed and walk. As we read about the leper, Father God, the one who was unclean and who was an outcast, may, may we read and know that, that one day, Father God, you came to us and we were outcasts of your kingdom, but that you healed us and accepted us into your kingdom. May we not take our conversion experience lightly, but may we think about it daily and remind ourselves that since we have been converted, since we have been chosen, since we have been saved, we are called to live radically for you, to forsake all for you. Praise God for your believers who are forsaking all and who will continue to forsake all. Praise God for this church who has made up their minds that, that we are not going to sit back and just praise you in these walls, but we are going to take the gospel to the streets. Amen. Praise God for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.